This episode is brought to you by stamps.com. If you are a small business owner, you know how much hard work and effort goes into maintaining a small business. I know because I am an indie podcaster. So if you've got a small business, you know that there is nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. Stamps.com basically brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in an office sending invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment and within minutes, Believe you me, within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. There is no risk. And with my promo code POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in pod, P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. I, I think that the responsibility that we have as creators, as artists, is to just like keep making, making the stuff that resonates with us without worrying so much about how we are portrayed. Hi listeners, welcome back to Immigrantly. I am your host Sadia Khan. As you know, this season on Immigrantly, we've been exploring media representation and so far we've taken a hard look at the need for diversity and inclusion in all forms of media from Broadway to the big screen. But representation in the media is not always something to be celebrated, right? I know you're probably thinking to yourself, Sadia, what are you talking about? Well, what I am talking about is misrepresentation. Just because we see people who look like us on TV or in other forms of media doesn't really mean our stories are being told in a truthful and authentic way and that's why platforms like Immigrantly are so important. Yes, that's a plug. (laughs) Anyways, moving on, representation of marginalized groups is often shrouded in stereotypes that can in turn have real-world and very negative impacts on the way people in those groups are treated. And there are so many examples of this. But for me, as a Muslim woman in America, what really comes to mind is the portrayal of Muslims and Islam after 9-11. Another one, another plane just hit. 
Right. Oh, oh my gosh. Another plane has just hit. You can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. Dramatic Muslim invasion. The radical Muslim terrorists hell-bent on killing us. Should we really be opening our doors at the risk of letting in terrorists? Muslims might blow us up. Now, 20 years after September 11th, 2001, not only does Islamophobia persist in America, but many studies show it's only getting worse. And though we may see more Muslim representation in the media, the men are frequently portrayed as bearded terrorists. And the women, well, we are seen as oppressed and in need of saving from an often white male lead. Many Muslim Americans that have come to age in the post-9-11 world say that Islamophobia has greatly shaped their lives and for some taken a severe toll on their physical and mental well-being. So yes, while representation is important, the harms of misrepresentation can be absolutely devastating. Our guest today has explored these very topics in everything from, get this, punk rock to podcasting. Shah Jahan Khan is a voiceover artist, actor and musician. He is currently the host of King of the World, a seven-part podcast series about American Muslim life post 9-11. So let's get started. I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited to have you on Immigrantly. And it's your birthday today, right? It is. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Are you planning something special? Is there something special planned for today? Yeah, so my uh, I'm actually going to be hanging out with uh, my parents and my sisters. My youngest sister is in town from uh, Salt Lake City, so... Just doing the family thing. Uh, we're going to do a little dinner. And then in a couple of days, my partner and I are actually going to take a trip to Toronto. Oh, nice. Do you so have just for like three, four days. Uh, I mean, literally no, but technically, you know, like uh, my bandmate, Basim, uh, who I believe you know, he lives in Toronto. And then uh, it's funny, actually, my high school bandmate actually also lives in Toronto and then uh, just just some friends. So my, my wife has actually never been to Toronto. And it's like one of my favorite places. Before we even talk about, you know, the nitty gritty, I just want to say something. Oh, my gosh. Sure. Your podcast is so good, Shah Jahan. It is one of the most authentic. And I don't want to use authentic in a gatekeeping way because some people do. But it is mm. one of the most authentic, raw, real, relatable, and I have a lot of adjectives for it, but a great podcast. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours, too. So it's just the response to this thing has been like beyond our wildest dreams. <laughs> so it's like, thank you. It's just brilliant storytelling. So how did you come up with this idea? 
it was not my idea. I have to credit my team, you know. So um, the company that I, I now work for is called Rafelion Media that was started by a childhood friend of mine, Asad Butt, who is also from uh, the Massachusetts area. You know, we grew up in the same kind of Desi community here. He's a few years older than me, so we weren't um, super close growing up. But we, you mm. know, we kept in touch. Our parents are kind of longtime friends, part of sort of the original uh, Pakistani community of Greater mm. Boston and stuff. So that's kind of how that connection was made. And then we both, we kept in touch after college and stuff. He had gone into journalism initially and then kind of got... Um, he did an MBA and, and uh, ended up working in a, in like the uh, the incubator kind of tech space. He always wanted to get back to journalism and media and that kind of thing. So last year, uh, he started this media company and um, he had kind of had this other interview-based show called American Muslim Project. And I was one of his first guests. And then after our interview, he was like, hey, so I've been kind of following your wild-ass life <laughs> over the past however many years would you maybe want to be a part of this company and maybe host your own show? And I was at a point in my life where I was very, you know, I've been in music, I've been an actor, I've done lots of different things, but, you know, I had like a quote-unquote day job that I I wasn't too thrilled with, but I sort of needed it for health insurance and stuff. And I was kind of at the end of my rope with it, the middle of the whole uh, pandemic situation. It, it just came about at the right time, you know, so I quit my job and just hopped on to this team full-time starting mm. this past February. And so Asad kind of had an idea initially about doing a 20th anniversary of 9-11 style show. I was very hesitant to do that at first just because, and I think I, I forget if I actually say this in the show, but I've definitely said it in interviews and stuff like, we are so sick of talking about 9-11. We're so yeah. sick of centering 9-11 and everything 9-11, 9-11 all the time. So... That was initially, I just didn't want to do it. and right. um, But we talked about it and we talked about, you know, whether we like it or not, it sort of did define everything. For mm. I, I hate to say that even, you know, and, I, and, and it's still something I don't, I don't quite know how to, I feel like maybe this show is a step for me to move beyond it or at least to like wrestle with it, you know, because mm. it's not something that's gonna go away and it's just such a part of who I am and the path I chose in life and stuff so I think his vision initially was to have it be more of the news style show but then we just started talking about like well basically it started with like an excel file and just yeah. like okay every year this is what was happening in the country what was happening in your life and he was just like and you know these are things that I'm so used to I, I've been a very pretty public person you know with music and stuff and I'm not going to say everybody knows. I think this podcast is a very, is the first time I'm really just like putting it all out there. You know, yeah. I think like my friends and other people sort of know bits and pieces of my story. But to me, it was just, yeah, this is just kind of what my life was. And for him, he was like, wait, all of this stuff like happened to you? Like, you know, and again, mm. it's not just me. I think that that's maybe what's relatable about it is that like, Granted, you know, maybe not everybody was like in this crazy band or whatever, but like we were all going through different versions of this stuff. I think we all knew from the first episode that we really had something special. And it's just, we joked that like, look, if we can just put out one good one, we will have done our job. But I'm just, I can very confidently say that every single episode, and we just have one more to go, you know, one uh, dropped today. We're going to have another bonus episode next week, but we just have one more to go. I can confidently say that they're all just fantastic, like pieces of work. 
Absolutely. So. And even the music is so on point. So what I really liked about your podcast, among other things, is your vulnerability, right? You mm. discuss your history of substance abuse, suicide mm. attempt you made in college. And to be honest, these are the topics I wish we openly talked about more, especially in the Pakistani and Muslim communities. Mm. Most of what we do is present this sanitized version of yeah. Muslim immigrant families or even like South Asian families. And I can speak to sure. my experience as a Pakistani immigrant. Can you tell us a little bit about the role your identity played in your mental health journey? Actually, Sadi, I think that that's something I'm still figuring out. Um, I think it's one of the things that's been kind of amazing about this show <laughs> is like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's whatever I'm, it's my job right now. But like writing these episodes, having these interviews, like with my family, for example, where I'm discovering things about their stuff, you know, like there was an mm. episode where my sister and I kind of have a thing about like our names and, and I just, just right. conversations that like when you have, uh, you know, obviously like you talk to your family or whatever, but when you have, I think conversations in this kind of a forum, just different stuff comes out. So in some ways, I think I'm still, I'm still figuring out just how much my uh, identity stuff, you know, is tied mm. to the mental health piece. And actually, our final episode, one that I'm super excited about, is going to feature uh, a Muslim psychiatrist, even with Islam and stuff like just a common first generation thing is just, you mm. know, where does it fit in your life? How much of it, um, how much of your um, heritage are you going to carry and stuff? And and there's a lot of guilt and shame about things. And, and all of that stuff is so tied to mental health. Mm. And I think it's just, yeah, I don't know. Some of us like have a hard, harder time with stuff, you know. I want to circle back to what you talked about in one of the King of World episodes, as you mentioned, your sister Nujahan discusses the names of her future children, right? Because I think mm -hmm. both of you were talking about your names and stuff. Yeah. And she says that she wants to do something that is intentionally disruptive. Yes. And give her children a very Pakistani first name since they will most likely carry her husband's American sounding last name. Mm -hmm. I really caught on to that phrase. Um, Me too. I had never heard it until yeah, she said in, it. <laughs> intentional disruption, right? Uh, yeah. Because it feels like that's what we have to do to challenge people's biases and confront them um, with the stereotypes they carry in their heads. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how can we intentionally disrupt the way people think about Muslims in America? I think, I mean, at least for me, it's been kind of a an exercise in trying my hardest to care a little bit less of what other people think. You know, I, mm. I think that I, um, for so much of my life, I was just worried about other people's comfort with my name. If we're just talking about the name thing, I think it's like mm. a good place to start. Um, also just a big, I think both of my sisters are such like, I'm just so happy that they were on the show and, um, but yeah, I, I think that that term intentional disruption, like, I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing now every time, you know, every time somebody's like, well, is there something else I can call you? Just something comes to mind that I don't think I talked ah. about on the show, but like maybe, um, 
when I was first uh, starting to get sober again, um, about 10 years ago, I, I, I was going to some meetings and stuff near, near where I grew up in um, the suburbs of Massachusetts. And I was in a meeting once and this, this lady said something like, you know, you go around and you sort of say your name and then you mm. say whatever you say, I'm a person in recovery or I'm a alcoholic or addict or something. And I just said my name and, and some lady just was very uncomfortable with it. She just was like, Oh, what, what is that? And I was like, Oh, my name's Shah Jahan. She's like, Oh man, whatever happened to like nice normal names like Steve and John? Oh, wow. and, and I and she like she literally said that. Wow. But I just didn't have it in me to like keep going with it, you know, and like cuz it's it's I feel like it's something that we don't always want to go there. Hmm. You know, and we sh- it, I don't know about you, I don't want to assume, but like I feel like depending on the day, like I have a different level of like ability to go there with somebody like there's some days where yeah like I'd want I can happily have the conversation but other days I just like don't want to do it so I'll just like won't because it it is like a lot of work but I I think it's important like you said to to move on we I mean it, it is but it's also like I think there's something to be said for like creating our own space too like I know we we have this conversation often um maybe Amar Aga or somebody says something in Urdu in one of the quotes on the show and initially we're like do we translate it or do we just let it go Ah, ah. and most of the time now we're just like you know what we'll just let it go like if some like because it unless it's something i love it you know unless it's something that's so gonna throw something off like you can get the gist of it you know um and if you you know i feel like you should be able to like do the work and and maybe it's for (laughs) that word is for a certain group of people and that's okay and it, it's just hard to always do do this in kind of like a performative kind of a way I, I don't know I like I feel, that. I feel differently about it at different times though to be perfectly honest with you I've done that I let other people do the hard work because I'm like look they can look it up why should I do the work for them all the time it's draining yeah. mentally and physically So let's talk about your name, Shah Jahan. By the way, I thought my kids' <laughs> names were complicated, Palvasha uh, <laughs> and Zermina. And being a Desi immigrant parent, we did not really think through what names we should choose for our kids. And I'm glad we didn't, honestly. Um, mm. Your name is, according to you, not as easily pronounceable, right? Although for me, it's like Shah Jahan. It's so it easy. It kind of is. It's. I think it is actually pretty. I think I've just told my... It, it's not that bad. Like, it's like... It's not. Three it's syllables. Not. It's also yeah. like... And like, I think Nuna said in the episode too, like, both of our names, if you just read them, you'll Separately. get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you just go piece by piece, you'll be able to get it, you know. So can you so. tell us about your name, what it means, and the significance of it to you? It's funny that, I mean, both you and I will understand this, I think, that even I would argue amongst, let's say, Pakistanis or South Asians mm. or Indians or to actually name your child Shah Jahan is like a pretty, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I haven't met too many. Yeah. I've maybe met one other Shah Jahan. I'm not saying that they don't exist, but it's like, it's a pretty, so it it does, that's what the name of the show is, King of the World, the name of the podcast. It's the literal translation of my name. And it's also, it's almost too good that it's like so, you know, I'm the first son. I'm the only son. I'm the, you know, of and, and it's like all of the hopes and dreams of the family 
you know, we make these jokes and stuff are sort of wrapped up in the first son or whatever. And it's, my name is literally king of the world. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like ironic that I had a lot of like mental health or self-confidence issues or whatever, but like leaving the comedy stuff aside, like, uh, it's a, be- you know, it's a beautiful name. It, it, you know, it does, it comes from, um, very, uh, vivid, rich, you know, Mughal history and stuff. And, um, and yeah, it's in a way I, I definitely have been trying to live up to it like my whole life. And I'm, and I don't think that part is a uniquely like ex- unique experience to me, just trying to live up to your lineage or legacy. And, you know, mm. you don't have to have a Nana who was the mayor of Lahore, like I did, you know, in the fifties, uh, like we've all got legacy, you know, we've all, ah. you know, we, we all have, I think we all carry our whatever uh, with us and for some of us it's just it's just hard to to want to do and maybe to have this this idea that like you know I have to do something I have to be something that's a little bit bigger than just me just because it just it just means more to like more people and even though they you know I'm super fortunate and stuff to have like a very supportive family and stuff and they would never say this kind of stuff to me I think but in a way yeah, like a lot of our sort of hopes and dreams are kind of wrapped up in in um, in the generation that came here. Like both of mm-hmm. my parents are, other than one um, aunt uh, that is also in the uh, in the U.S., they're the only ones from their pretty big families that came here. So mm-hmm. everybody else is actually still in Pakistan. Can I say something? I'm obsessed yeah. with your mom. Like when I listen <laughs> to too. her conversations uh, on the podcast, I am like. I am that parent. I am that Hmm. immigrant parent. And that's why her conversations are so relatable, right? Her Hmm. conversations around identity and how we've imbibed our identity. When I was growing up in Pakistan, to be honest, Muslim or ethnic or racial identities were not part of my consciousness Mm -hmm. uh, because I was part of the dominant population. So I never felt the need to understand my identities and what they meant when I came to the U.S. That's when I started to recognize and see different layers of my identity. And sometimes, honestly, I think some of them are just thrust upon us, right? Yes. Um, South Asian identity. So if I'm South Asian, then I must be brown. Am I brown mm-hmm. enough? Is mm. my skin color lighter than normal? Like average brown person in Pakistan if so Mm -hmm. how do I identify right am I Muslim am I Sunni Muslim what does that mean am I practicing Muslim Shahjan how do you reconcile with so many identities without feeling the burden to prove something not just to others but to yourself it's come in phases for me honestly Sadia I you know like I one big piece, uh, I don't think I addressed this in the show, was I got a few years ago, I actually got like a, a Desi therapist. Mm. So that like, that helped a lot, you know, mm. Um, mm. taking a trip to Pakistan a few years ago after the one that went so bad, however many years ago, was a way that I was able to kind of, you know, reconcile a little bit of it. And then you kind of like, I, I think it, it's like, two steps back, one step forward kind of thing. You know, I think it's it's a day-to-day, um, a day-to-day thing. I want to extend this conversation a little more. When yeah. it comes to different parts of your identity, are there any specific dimensions that you think you arrived on 
of your own volition versus they being thrust on you versus another dimension of your identity that you're still grappling with my creative uh tendencies i th- hmm. i would i think are the ones that i feel most um that are most embedded within me now you know hmm. i have i'm a musician because my parents you know listened to music growing up and i you know it's obviously if it wasn't for them like supporting me and uh, you know and in piano lessons and guitar and like hmm. having this incredible you know collection of music you know like that's definitely one side of it. but in terms of every time i have taken some time away from it and come back to it it's it's almost like a coming home for me so hmm. you know i'm somebody that has struggled you know with definitely like going through months where i just like i just don't feel connected to music or you know i feel like uh i don't know um and then, you know it's something that a lot of i think musicians go through as far as like you know putting out a ton of stuff or maybe like doing a big tour or doing some concerts and then just kind of like taking a step back and being like uh you know like i i feel like maybe i'm not <laughs> I'm not as good as or as curious as I was when I was younger, but then then something else comes up. Like I started a few years ago learning how to play the rabab, which ah. is a really important instrument to my father. So my father is actually from Quetta, um, even though the family uh, has you know Punjabi heritage and stuff. So he's from Quetta and Balochistan, and so by way of Afghanistan, and so for me to like play that instrument particularly you know and i'm not that great at it like i didn't take formal lessons from an ostad or whatever like i just like kind of fucked around on youtube and tried to figure out how to tune it and everything but like for me when i play that instrument uh and i can and i get lost in it like that's that's like a meeting of a lot of all these different things because to me it just feels like you know yeah i can plug in an electric guitar and play a concert and and do a whole like big loud thing or whatever. But for me, just like playing this particular instrument, you know, when it's quiet uh, and there's nobody home uh, and it's like just me and I can kind of close my eyes and be transported to like, you know, maybe I think of Guaita when I used to go as a kid or, um, uh, or or just, you know, so I I feel like that's music and and the the creative stuff is definitely something that is embedded uh, within me. So I am ethnically Pathan. To be honest, that's part of my identity that only becomes visible when I go to Pakistan. And when I'm mm-hmm. reminded of that identity in the US, it's not really part of my consciousness now. It's becoming less mm. relevant. But talking about rabab, that's my favorite instrument. Oh, you mean- I don't know how to play it, of course, but I remember when we were trying to find intro music, um, background music for Immigrantly, I, you know, wanted that instrument somehow included in the music, but I couldn't mm. explain it to anyone. It was so difficult to tell them what I wanted, and I was sending them these YouTube videos, and they didn't really know what I was trying to um, get at but such a cathartic I guess instrument in a way and or maybe I feel it because I feel some kind of connection to it yeah 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 one of my fa- I, I don't do you know a guy SR have you no, heard of him no. he is I think the the most prominent American Afghani player he's he's ah. uh, I think he's a few years younger than me he's out in he's based in Arizona but he I'll send you his music so I think it's he's 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 the one that he actually ended up showing me how to um, tune it properly and like changes because basically Amma had brought the rabab for me uh, two two years ago. I begged my cousin uh, Omer 
to uh, find. He's kind of the the my kind of dude in the family, and he he ended up finding this store, uh, this uh, rabab uh, maker in Peshawar, and then they basically drove the thing from Peshawar uh, oh, to wow. to Islamabad, and then from Islamabad to Lahore, and then Amma literally brought it to Boston on her lap. She was like, you owe me for this because I, I wouldn't put this, you know, because it's so delicate. Um, yeah, I, lo- I love Rabab. So let's talk about your music. You're a founding member of the Kaminas. And you've discussed how the mainstream narrative of your band seemed to center around Islam. Um, and the songs you wrote about being Muslim, like Sharia law in the U.S. I am an Islamist. But not all your songs were about Islam, right? You explored politics, romance, um, and so much more in your music. Talking about your music and how it was framed in within U.S. mainstream media, do you think we'll always be seen as representative of our quote-unquote otherness in the eyes of America and mainstream? And how do we combat that? I think no, because I think that it has changed now where it's not just... So I think that's, for example, this, all, all the issues that we had with the media... Um, with the mm. early years of the Kaminas and even to, to some degree now was was basically framed by white journalists in terms of how we were kind of framed by the like, right. white media or the Western media. So now the difference is that we like are the media, like we are in the media now. Like there's so many more. Mm. Uh, we're not just like the one. There's actually, <laughs> it's funny, there is this amazing um, queer black Muslim punk band from North Carolina called the Muslims. And they're, you know, and they, and they just got some huge record contract. And it's finally like, I think it's, things have finally shifted to a point where like our otherness is now like valued in a way. Yes. But like we are creating the new narratives. So Mm. I think that, I think the tides are shifting. So do you think we are moving away from that default setting of terrorist and then everything else is in opposition of that, right? I think that um, whatever, whether it's Muslims or just, you know, non-white, whatever. I mean, I think that like we just haven't traditionally been allowed uh, a level of like complexity, Hmm. you know, that like whatever the dominant culture is. So... Now you see it, you know, I think especially, for example, one of my favorite shows in the last few years was that show Rami. Um, oh, it's my favorite show, too. Oh, my. I just and it's funny because I, just, I guess I'm like in the, love the with first two show. episodes, I wasn't I, I just wasn't into it. But I was like, you know, everybody's so obsessed with the show I have. And then from episode three all the way through season one, season two, I was like obsessed with it because yes. it was just like because, you know, it's sh- like my favorite episode, I think, was the one um, I believe it's in season one where it's about his mom. And she is driving Uber, yes. you know, and she's and she's looking at her and she's looking at Facebook and, and you know, worrying about and because that thing tackles like the mental health of like being uh, like, I'm sure like maybe some of the stuff my mom struggles with mm. when she looks at mm. Facebook all the time and like doesn't realize it or whatever. Um, 
But that that show, to me at least, was an example of like, in this particular case, we're talking about Muslims, like a Muslim, you know, person creating a show. And he talks about it in interviews like, you know, I wanted to I want to be somebody who struggles with faith. Like, I don't want to yeah. I want to be one of these like unapologetically Muslim people um, and just kind of put it all out there and be like, no, I'm just struggling with like how to be a better person. I, I think that the responsibility that we have as creators as you know whatever artists is to just like keep making making the stuff that resonates with us without worrying so much about mm. how we are portrayed because that is i think that's definitely something that um i for sure struggled with in those first few years with the caminos just because we did get all this attention and we just kind of frankly weren't really we didn't really we weren't equipped for how to deal with it you know so that's the sort of advice i would give is to just sort of like make the stuff that feels good to you and don't don't worry so much about the way it's going to be like packaged or whatever in your opinion what do you think has contributed to this shift and why do you think we are here now um i think it's just uh like i said people uh, other uh other creatives you know uh, other uh whether it's muslims or south asians or uh pocs or, or whatever like we've always known we have incredibly you know, poignant stories to tell. Um, mm. Now we sort of have the opportunity to do that. I think that, you know, a lot has changed in terms of media and technology and even the ability to kind of like make your own stuff. Whereas I think actually it was uh, one of my favorite, um, maybe my favorite comedian today, uh, Hari Kondabolu. He was on your yeah. show a few weeks ago and he said it really well where he was like, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago to say like, do it yourself was kind of a shitty thing to say to somebody because That's it was true. still kind of about access and like, yeah, there's still only X, Y, and Z places where you can go. And and in terms of music, like I think where the Caminas began, it, it was sort of the tail end of the, the record label being the only force in the music industry that everybody has to get a record contract or something, mm. you know? And I think that the thing that has changed in the last 10 to 15 years, I totally agree with what Hari had said, where um, now there is just so much more of a, you can you can put stuff out you can make stuff cheaply for you know like every camino's music video we ever did was under $500 you know what i mean like and now obviously we had a lot of nice friends that helped us out and stuff but but still like you don't have to wait for some big whatever you can you can like make something that means something to you you can yeah i mean i i half the guests that i interviewed on my show i just had them record voice notes on their phone you know whether if it, you know so it's like I think that that kind of access mm. is is there in a way that it wasn't before. Shahjahan, I want to pivot a little and, in fact, go back sure. to twenty years after nine eleven because your podcast is based off of that, right? Mm -hmm. And the way I see it, we still like as Muslims, it is always up to us to explain the differences between Islam and terrorism, even now, like mm -hmm. 20 years after 9-11. Yeah. Where do you think we draw the line? Like, how do we change our approach? And you've done that through your podcast. And I'm I'm so glad you did that. But how do we change for others who are listening, our approach to how we are telling our stories? I think that it's okay to be a little more selective. You don't, and let me know if this doesn't make sense. Like you don't have to say yes to every, every opportunity, every, like every time someone asks you to be that 
representative or whatever like Mm. you don't have to do it when i think about it the first thing that comes to my mind is not to make our stories appear relatable or palatable to Mm -hmm. american public just be who we are unapologetically when we try too hard it just comes across as not authentic just fake and what i really like about your podcast is that it is just so authentic when i was listening to it i was like oh my gosh he talked about this and he addressed that and many people wouldn't yeah, I'm, I'm actually, it, it's funny because I'm thinking Nuna's thing comes up again, uh, where the intentional disruption thing. And I just, uh, I had this flashback to right before I, um, when I was working uh, in this research job a couple of years ago, you know, I was sitting in the cafeteria. It's a pretty white company. And um, this kind of senior guy in the company just sort of came in and he started talking about some trip that he took to India. Hmm. And he was, you know, the typical like white guy thing where he was like, you know, yeah, oh man. <laughs> those Indian spices. And at that, like, I just, it was one of those times where I just felt like, so I was like, hey man, what do you mean Indians? Like what Indian spices exactly? Like, and I was like, turmeric or like chili powder, like which specific (laughs) one? And it made it so uncomfortable in the cafeteria, but it was okay. Like, I think that some of it, the discomfort is oh, if you are okay with that, like it's okay to make people uncomfortable. Like we've been uncomfortable for so long um, that that it's I th- I think it's it's fine. I think it's great to make people uncomfortable uh, if you want to. If you're ready to, you know, like I said, like it might just be a day where you don't feel like dealing with this shit, so you don't have to say anything. But um, definitely don't worry about like making people uncomfortable. If you could go back to September 11th, 2001 and tell your teenage self something, give him one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess just that, man, like you are good enough just the way you are. It sounds so simple and standard, but it's just so like not what I felt at that time. Mm. I was just always trying to be something else, like be somebody else. Yeah. I mean, if I could just be like, dude, just be you, man. It's like, it's going to be all right. And like, yeah, just that like you are literally good enough. Right. That's it. I I love it. I could just say that to my, you know, 16 through 18 year old self every day. Um, Mm. It's, you know, it's funny. I have, I have sticky notes saying that, you know, I, I don't do like vision boarding, but like I do my own little version of it where I have, I have these little sticky notes at my desk right now that says stuff like that. Cause it's, you know, just because I do this stuff now, it doesn't mean that I, I still don't like go through this stuff. I still don't go through like depression and mental health and stuff. So um, Mm. Mm. it's a, it's a daily reminder. It's so profound. Um, Yet simple. The irony is I see my daughters go through it at times. Mm. Um, Grapple with that, right? Are they good enough? Do they integrate? How do they integrate? And that's what really saddens me because I'm talking about like 20 years in and we are still Mm. grappling with this notion, especially for second generation kids of immigrants. Because Mm. as an immigrant for me, I have reconciled with my outsider, insider um, 
um, identity. I am not fully American and I'm not fully, fully Pakistani anymore as well, but mm -hmm. I am both simultaneously, if that makes sense. Yes, of course. I think that's the same for my mom. I hope we can make kids more comfortable in their own skin and who they are. Yeah, and just, just talking about stuff. You know, it, it reminds me of... Um, so one thing I I did while... Uh, after the first few years of, of getting sober, I was part of this theater troupe that would do shows kind of in middle schools and high schools where mm -hmm. all the all the actors were themselves kind of people in recovery. And we would do, you know, simple sorts of like 45 minutes of one hour plays. And then after it, we'd do a quick talk back. We would tell our own story for a minute. And usually we would do these in high schools or middle schools and mm -hmm. then take questions from the students. And I'll never forget, um, I, I was told after one of the, um, after the, the show, the, the school administrators came up to me. It was somewhere in, um, in Massachusetts. I don't remember where, but they said that, hey, so just so you know, there's an Iraqi student um, that uh, just came to our school. She's a, mm. a new, new immigrant, and she doesn't really understand English, but she sort of understood that this was a play about family and stuff. And, yeah. when, and you said something about Islam, and huh. just like... Just you, like that was enough for her to like say thank you. That she didn't even know half of the things that we basically she didn't understand anything oh, wow. in the in the show. She didn't probably understand much that I said, but she was able to figure out that like I was somebody who like was Muslim huh. and was talking about alcoholism and addiction and like being sad and mental health, and that was enough. For, you know, so I think the other thing is to just make it okay for young people to talk about this stuff. Hmm. I think that even though even though we are in a time where, yeah, mental health, it feels like everybody's talking about mental health, um, it's not necessarily, that, that doesn't mean that it's still not like stigmatized or it doesn't mean, um, I was listening to some other podcaster say this yesterday where he was like, um, it doesn't mean that like people feel like, people still feel like, well, oh yeah, it's not me though. It's, yeah. you know, it might be somebody else. So. Mm -hmm. Especially in immigrant communities, South Asian yeah. communities, um, I go to a therapist and it was a struggle just to decide to do that as an immigrant. Um, right. Because it's there, there's so much taboo. And yeah. then if you do, people start asking, is everything okay? Like um, Exactly. And it everything can be okay on surface and you would still want to go. It's like those things are not mutually exclusive, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it reminds me just a quick joke. Like, you know, I, I'm i cautious now of being like, you know, if, if Amma, she'll ask, you know, she'll ask me like, you know, how I, one time I just said, you know, I was a little down today. She's like, why? Is everything okay? I just <laughs> yeah. had a... Uh, whatever sort of but you know it's like it's my mom of course she's gonna worry about stuff right so Shahjahan, in the end if you could describe yeah. america how would you do that if i could describe america i would say america is very complicated um mm -hmm. it's very big uh i've had the privilege to travel all over america usually in a van with three other <laughs> guys uh it's not just one thing I mean, that's the thing I've been able to learn, I think, these past however many years, 15, 16 years that I've been doing this. Uh, it is like, it's just, it's so big. I think mm. that that's something that people don't, and, and, I, and I get a little bit of the like, yeah, we're sort of on the coast and stuff. Like, there's this whole, like, when you drive through 
Nebraska or Wyoming or some of these places that are just so like remote. Hmm. You're just like, wow, parts of one parts of it like literally have nothing to do with the other part. And that's why it's so, and I don't know, I'm not, that's not the only reason, but maybe that's why there's just so much like whatever. It's just a, it's a push and pull of so many different mm. people. And um, so, yeah, I would say it's big and it's complicated. This was so good, Shah Jahan. Can you share information about your podcast? I listen to it on Spotify. I'm not sure, sure. if Spotify is the only streaming platform or is it being streamed everywhere? So the uh, our show is called uh, King of the World. Uh, it is on every single streaming platform, uh, I believe, in the universe. <laughs> um, so you can find it anywhere. Uh, you can hear my band, The Kaminas, uh, anywhere you get music. I also just started playing with this other band called Ravi Shavi. Uh, you can find me at uh, on all of the things at Shajistan. Um, and yeah. This Great. was so good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sadia. This is a real, real pleasure. Go listen to Shah Jahan's podcast, King of the World. It's the best podcast, one of the best podcasts that I have listened to in the recent past. And I can bet you will learn a lot about Muslim identity, nuances of human experiences and if you do share it download it give it a review and while you're at it don't forget to write a review for immigrantly and subscribe download until next week take care Welcome to Sufficiently Black, a show that explores what it means to be comfortable in your blackness despite living in a world obsessed with stereotypes. Host Kia, Amari, and Janae deep dive into black womanhood. Personally, I know that when I walk into the room, I'm seen as black first. Yeah. Then I'm seen as a woman. The glass ceiling is already like there. It's already above my head. It's, it's already above my head. Like shattering that bitch is real tough for me. Yeah. Identity. I feel beautiful and my mom and like my mom's telling me my immediate family are telling me I'm beautiful but everyone everything else around me is telling me like I'm not beautiful and so it was never I never wanted to be lighter skinned or white I just wanted the fucking privilege <laughs> that came along with being light and culture it doesn't matter how much money you have as a black person you will never in your life you could say I'm not black emoji you could say whatever you want but you still are going to be black. It doesn't matter. Through a critical lens as they navigate their way through adulthood. I want to look back at this year and say, damn, like that was a comfy ass fun year. That's what I want. Like I want this year to be like I'm running around in sweatpants, but have a glittery top in, like figuratively. Join us every other Tuesday for funny. And this is why I'm angry, yo. Because I'm like, damn, I was giving so much energy to these boys who like could not call what we were doing what it was, which is a relationship, dude. Like it's a relationship and I'm giving this, all this goodness to you when I could be giving it to myself or someone else. And intellectual conversations. In order for black people to survive, you have to play a game. 
of not being yourself. About what it means to be sufficiently black. Trying to mind my business and be black. That's basically about it. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Bye. Bye.